switch on the recordings. Just let me know when it's all ready. Okay. All right. Father, in Jesus' name, we are, I want to just pray for these men, Lord, and just hold them before the throne. Every one of them represents people. Every one of them a priest. And part of our priestly duty is to hold the people you've enabled us and equipped us and allowed us to lead. So I want to hold them and ask them to hold the people that they represent up before the throne of grace. And I pray that the Holy Spirit's touch will be upon every one of them, upon their minds, their hearts, upon their lives, their bodies, their families, that there would be that supernatural release upon every one of them in the name of Jesus, that they will not go home the same as they came, not one of them, and that one church will remain the same when they get, get back, that there will be change, some for some maybe massive, for others incremental, smaller, but change. We can't dictate to you what but you know what they need and you know what the churches need. And I'm asking in Jesus' name, the God who meets all our needs, to do that in them now, in Jesus' name. No matter what goes on today, Lord, I'm asking for that supernatural touch from heaven of the Spirit of God upon every man in this place today. And I thank you now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. I've struggled to know what to leave out and what to touch, and uh, just hoping I can, I've got it right in God. But I want to just start off this morning by giving you some kind of headings of an, of, of an outline of mine that would take literally months of kind of Sundays or 15 days of a time like this, three days to finish. Um, but I want to, so, so I'm, I'm going to just give you the headings and then go back to the biggest sense. This here, that one page, that's it there. That's what I would like to cover. So I've got to pick out some of these as we go through them. Some I'll just make some comments. But if I can give you these, and look, it's going to be almost impossible to type all this or to write it all down. It's, you can easily get these, uh, the recording of it and sit and listen through it and take any notes because I'm hoping some of this will be prep, some um, messages for some of you to preach. Not exactly like I do, but you begin to see again some of the important things that possibly are somewhere being overlooked in ministry because I know that that happens to me when I go to a thing of this nature. I don't get there anymore, but when I did, I think, wow, that, that's something that's lacking in our church again, uh, etc. So it's about finishing strong, completing the work, the ministry that God's given to us. That's what, what Paul wrote to Archippus in Colossians 1, I think it's 17 or 14, 17, I think it was, Colossians 4, 17. He says, tell Archippus to fulfill the ministry which he has received from the Lord. And so that, and Paul saying, I've run the race, I've finished the course, etc., etc., finishing strong. And I so I want to just give you some a little bit of, of what I've got here about that. And then we'll look at some things and 
bring in and incorporate some of those things into what else I'll say this morning. So first of all, remember this, that it's got to be at a, at, at a, at a local church, a translocal church, and at an individual or personal level, what I'm saying now. All right. So, these are what I've called banks or steps to make sure we finish strong. And I began to touch on the fact that the other day, yesterday or the day before, that the Holy Spirit is like a river. And the river is flowing. And out of our innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. That's speaking of the Holy Spirit. So a river needs banks. So when I'm talking about the river, I'm talking about the river that we read of in Ezekiel 47, that the further it goes down, everything it touches becomes refreshed. And it starts to teem with life. It's the river of the life of God, of the Spirit of God. So these are the steps. First of all, these banks. I don't know which ones are the most important in your life, and they certainly aren't in the order of importance in my own life, but they all have an importance. And so if you'll just bear with me as I try to go through some of them. The first one I want to say to you is choose God's purposes above your plans. Choose God's purposes above your plans. Proverbs 19.21 says this, and this maybe give you a little insight into what I'm trying to say. Choose God's purposes above your plans. Many are the plans, this is what Proverbs 19.21 says, many are the plans in a man's heart. And you just think of your own life as you were growing up. You made plans. Some of you are still making plans. Many of us plan to find a wife. We plan to have children. We've planned to buy a house, to one day own the house. We plan, we plan. And as we get older, we can still have plans. The unfortunate thing is that many of those plans never, ever come to fruition. For some people, they don't find a wife. They don't get married. Or if they do, the marriage falls apart. Plans. If the plans are the big thing, we're finished. We get wounded, we get messed up, and we quit. But if we put our hearts set on what the Scripture goes on to say, but it is the Lord's purposes that prevail. And two of the purposes, there's lots of purposes, and I, I don't know whether we can get to them that I've got in this other part of my notes here, but two of the purposes that I believe sort out most every one of the rest of the purposes of God in our lives, the two purposes that I see in Scripture, one is to make us like Jesus. God's purpose for your life, your family's life, your church life, is to make you, them, like Jesus. All right? We get that one sorted out. Most of the others, no matter what other purposes God's got, and you know purposes and plans that God has for us give us a future, a hope, and it's, you can go and look through all those scriptures, and I've done that, and I've got a whole lot of them in my notes, but if you can get that one right, most of the others will fall into place, and the second one that God clearly purposes for every life is what I was talking about yesterday, fruitfulness, kingdom fruitfulness, kingdom fruitfulness, 
Proverbs 18, verse 4 says, He, God, has made everything, everything for His purposes. That's you, that's me, His church. That's your family. Those are the kids He gave you, if you have kids. Everything He made for His purposes. And then if you take Isaiah 55, 14, just uh, uh, 11, I mean Psalm 57, 2, and you can get these off <laughs> if you get the recording. Acts 11, 30, uh, 13, 36, Jeremiah 29, 11, one of those amazing ones. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, and especially in the New King James Version, it brings it out so powerfully. That's the first one, all right. Number two. Re-establish the banks of the river of God in your life. I'm going to come back to that in a moment, but I'm going to move on and give you these headings. Re-establish. Because if you're born again, the river was flowing because there were banks, but the banks break down. And as the banks break down, there's leakage. Re-establish. You know the fire you had. You know that when Paul, uh, John writes in the Revelation, to the, uh, and he's speaking from God speaking to the churches, he says, one of those things I have against you is you've lost your first love. And normally if we've lost our first love, some of the river banks that God's put into our lives have got lost or broken down or weakened or something's happened. We'll come back to that. Number three. Serve God wholeheartedly. You want to finish strong, counting for God, keeping the river flowing, not just where it, when you got saved you were ankle deep and then you walked into a kind of uh, knee deep and then into waist deep and then suddenly where you couldn't even get your feet no longer. That's where I want to live, where my feet can't touch the ground. That's why I say faith is spelled R-R-I-S-K. While you can still touch the ground, you feel safe. I remember when I, I, when I used to surf. You'd go out there in the beginning when you're just starting to learn. You feel so much safer. When, but when you're right out on the back line and you don't know how deep it is down there, that's where I want to live. I don't know how deep. I don't know where ground is. There's nothing that I can do to support myself. And in some senses, I used to even prefer, I know the most board surfers will want to stone me for this. I used to prefer even body surfing because I, I didn't have a, a little board to help me. It was just you in the wave and I want to be me in the wave of God. All right. If, if that offends you surfers, get over it. So serve God wholeheartedly. Give it all you've got all the time. All you've got all the time. Now, I think I can say that safely because I was trying to say the other day about recreation. We need to, to recreate, or not just recreate and making more, but what we call recreation today, just relaxing and resting. But giving it all you've got, even if you're relaxing, that doesn't mean you have to cool off. I was listening, when I was listening to my music this morning, Light the fire again. Remember that? Some of us need to be praying, oh Lord, light the fire again. 
Number f- I'm coming back to that one, ho- hopefully, too. But, you know, in, in, in uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 31, verses 21, 20 and 21, it's, it's, it says this. Um, he w- um, walked wholeheartedly, and so he... I just can't even read my writing here. And so he prospered. <laughs> I couldn't read that first little, but I, I see I've got a drop of water on, on, the, on the ink. But he, he walked wholeheartedly and wholeheartedly. And so he prospered. In Psalm 63 verse 8 it says, My soul follows hard after you. Luke 10 says, love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, your, your might, etc. Luke 4, 18 says, worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Him only. So, serve God wholeheartedly. Give it all you have all the time. Number four, accept the challenge. Now, this is not only for you. This is for your church. Accept the challenge of change. In other words, live organically. You, your church, live creatively. Can you imagine what creativity God has put just in the group that's here? Not, I'm not talking about what the creative guys or the, the guys who play music or something. Every one of us is creative. I, my oldest son, Clint, he's a big six foot three brute. I reckon he can arm wrestle. The, and I look around here and there's a couple of really tough brute, you know, dudes here. And, and Kenny's also here. But my, my, my oldest son, Clint, he used to go into the pub and wrestle with the, with the, the bikey guys, arm wrestle. He, he just loved it, and he beat most everyone. I mean, you look at some of those, those bikey guys. I know that the tats and everything else make them look more fierce, but, but they're pretty fierce anyway. I'm trying to think, why did I start this? Ah, that's right. When Clint was at school, just a kid. And I'm using the, the, he was big because we've got this impression that anyone's creative has got to be kind of a little drip. <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm trying, to, trying to come up with a word for, for you guys from, from Holland in case you didn't go, that I didn't. <clears throat> Just like, you know what I'm trying, a wimpy kind of a guy anyway. Not the wimp, yeah. You South African, I'm not talking about the wimpy bar, I'm talking about wimpy. <clears throat> anyway, at school, I mean, he, he used to draw and create, and then they got a hold of him, and they started to make him do it with perfection, and he just lost, he lost it, and he, he lost interest, and he does nothing like that anymore. God's put creativity in you, don't let anybody stifle it by conforming to the church. One of the first things, and I normally say this, and I'm trying to avoid saying it this time, but one of the first things the church generally does to you is to try and tame you. 
it tries to tame you, make you insipid. It, it doesn't do it with the wrong intentions. It just believes that's what we should be. I came, when I came to Christ, excuse this little story, I'll try and make it as brief as possible. I came to Christ, I'd won a championship, a national championship in the sport I was involved in, and so whether I was tough or not, I was looked at with some kind of, he's a hero. And then I got saved. And the church told me that if you're really a Christian, you won't mix with guys like that. And by the time, and this is what we're talking about now in the 1960s, by the time I woke up, my friends no longer wanted anything to do with me. They just tried to tame me. And when I realized what they'd done, I just broke loose. And I'm asking you in Jesus' name, if they've tamed you, break loose. And I'm asking you in Jesus' name, don't try and tame your people. Help them to break loose. Now, I'm not talking about breaking into rebellion and not trying to be weird to be spiritual. I'm not talking about any of that nonsense. I'm hoping I'm talking to sane people. Spirituality is sane. You don't get weird to be spiritual. We've confused Animals, I come from Africa. When I used to go to South Africa, I loved going. Every time I would get back there, I'd go to the game park. And I've seen this. I've never seen an, an, a lion or an elephant acting weird. And this is something wrong. When you're wild, wild and weird are two different things. I'll tell you when animals act weird, when you put them in a cage. Are you listening to me? Help your people to stay wild, but not weird. Don't ever confuse weird for wild. Excuse me, just this just dropped into my mind. We had some guys when I was on pastoring on the hill, and some of you guys were in that church at the time. You know what I'm talking When I we have a Saturday morning prayer meeting full of people out there, but some guys always position themselves behind me, and then they do this. One day I asked the girl, what, what's going on? I, said, I made the mistake by saying, first of all, just one girl, what's your name? He says, my name is unimportant. There is a name that is above every name. That at the name of... I'm saying, no, what's your name? <laughs> I, I was trying to get to, why do you do this stuff? I never was able to get there. <laughs> what are you trying to do? Now, I'm not talking about that sometimes God could move on you to, you know what, I, but when we, come on, guys. It's just weird. It's not wild. They say that an eagle is one of the cleanest birds until you put it in a cage, and then it becomes a healthy bird. Rise and soar unto the sunlight rays. Using both your wings of prayer and praise, mount like eagles higher in the sky. Then you'll find that life is different when you fly. Now, I wish I could say, what do you think of that? I made it up. <laughs> Lie. 
Anyway, I'm getting naughty. I said I wouldn't, and I am. <laughs> Moving on. Accept the challenge of change. Live organically, live creatively, personally and in your church life. 2 Corinthians 3, 18. You know, change is here to stay. The church doesn't like change. I've watched guys walk in to a church building on a Sunday, and this is their seat. And a visitor didn't know that. So the visitor had the audacity to sit in their seat. And I'm telling you, they don't know what to do. They're absolutely thrown. They got into a spin. And you can see some of them, they'll sit somewhere else and it's like, just a chair. It's, it's like it's become an inbred thing through the fall to resist change. We should thank God for change. Because change ten, turns a, a thief and a liar into an honest man or an honest woman. Change t- ch- t- turns a rapist into a man who walks with godliness. We should thank God for change. And the church has to change. And Jesus says this. God wants us to be like Jesus, and Jesus will never change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He'll never change. We're not like him yet. So who's got to change? You don't have to be a rocket scientist. If he's not going to change and he wants us to be like him, guess who's got to change? <laughs> and you naughty, naughty... But accept the challenge of change. Change is here to stay. Number five, I think it is. Is it, what number? Yes, five. All right. You want to finish strong, have the right motives. The right motive, the right modus operandi. I'm going to put these all together. God's empowering. In other words, if you want to really last, do things for God. Have the motive is, God, I'm doing this for you. If you're going to forever give in to the pressures of the people in your church, you will not last the long run. You won't run the, the, the long race. You, you won't. You, just, you cannot. Jesus, the perfect man, could not keep everybody happy. If he couldn't, why even start to try? Seriously. I always used to say, and I don't know that I can quote it off, I've got it in my notes then, I hope I can come back to it. But I used to say, only that which is done out of love for Jesus, birthed in the place of prayer, or birthed and conceived in the place of prayer, Empowered by the Holy Spirit, I might have to change this to make it more like I've got it, but only those things will last. Nothing else. Only that's the first one is only that which is done out of love for Jesus. Nothing else will last. All the stuff you're doing because people want it, it's not going to last. You can spend your whole life trying to please people, and when God looks at it, go, it's gone. And you just do this little bit of stuff you had of real love for Jesus, and it, it lasts for eternity. 
So some things we have to do. We're called in God to do some things as leaders. But do them out of love for Jesus. Even when you feel like it, I don't, I'm not doing this out of love, do it and say, God, help me to do this out of love. You know, I'm just wanting to really be real here. I don't know about any of you guys that are regular preachers. But I've got to say to you, there have been Sundays when I was a pastor that I was go to the church only because I had to preach. I just did it out of discipline. Have you been there? You wake up in the morning, you think the last thing I want to do is go to and, and be at the church and put up with these people and preach this message. I just, I just don't feel like doing it. But I found out that when you're doing it by lifestyle generally, when you hit those moments, he just carries you. And you get to the meeting, and all that stuff just gone. And you're just loving it again. But if it's not a lifestyle, it messes up your life. You can be preaching, doing all the right things, the things we have to do, and they're destroying you. Do it out of love for Jesus. That was number five. Number six, face your fears. I'm talking about you want the river to keep flowing. Face your fears, whether they're imagined or real. Most of our fears are imagined. Rubbing my neck and there's a lump there. Could have been a spider bit you during the cancer. Imagined. Well, may even have been as, not even as fierce as a spider, just a mosquito during the nuts. I mean, a mosquito is fierce, isn't it? No, but most of, our, most of our fears are imagined, but whether they're imagined or real, face them. One John four eighteen says, "Fear has torment." I want to read on, but you know, I'm going to preface this simply because I'm trying to make a point. Nothing else. Every church I've ever tried, I've ever been called by God to lead has just exploded in growth. Everyone. So I should be one of those men who think, well, when I take on this task, this new one, look at this. I don't have anything to worry about. But I'm telling you that the number of times that I feared that the whole thing was going to fall apart. Have you ever been there? Guys, be honest, you know. I'm done, done not to tell me in your own hearts. I'm being honest with you. There are times I thought, I'm going to get to the meeting and there's going to be nobody there. I'll be, and I'm still amazed when people turn up, and that's the truth, but not out of fear anymore. But I used to think, man, last week we had X amount of 100 people. wonder what's going to happen this weekend. Because I go home thinking, man, alive, these people deserve something better than this. It's a, you know, seriously. That, do you, I'm trying to put where God's leaders are not allowed to be real. I'm trying to say, be real, guys. 
It's not negativity. Man, Peter jumped out of the boat and walked on water, and then that wasn't negativity. It was reality. He took his eyes off Jesus for a moment, and he began sinking. That wasn't just in his mind. That was, he was sinking. And he started praying, oh, Jesus, I, I'm sorry, I repent. No, he just said, save me. It's as quick as that. Don't have to go through the motions of exalted God reigning in the heavens. I worship and praise. And by the way, please save me. I'm drowning. And he says, where are you? You're gone. It's too late. If you just said, save me. You know that's not true. You know what I'm trying to say. Okay. <laughs> I'm thinking I have to leave some of these things. Face your fears, real or imagined. It's a wonderful thing in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Be not anxious about anything, but with prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God that passes all understanding will garrison God, your heart, etc. All right. Number seven, get your hurts healed. I wonder, seriously, not for exposure. I wonder how many of us, if, I were, if you had such integrity in your heart, and I were to ask this question, I wonder how many of you would have to put up your hand and say, that, count me in. I wonder how many people sitting here right now are still carrying hurts from the past. I'm not asking you to put your hands up. I'm just asking you to be honest with yourself. Get your hurt, you've got to get your hurts healed. It's no use going on and on and denying I got hurt. I'm a child of God. I, nothing hurts me. And you know in your heart you hurt. You know, one of the unfortunate things about preaching is there's no way you can avoid hurting people. If you're sitting here now and I'm preaching on tithing and you don't tithe, you're going to get hurt. You're, going to, you're not going to like me. And you're going to carry that. And somebody says, hey, have you ever heard of this guy, Dudley Denny? Mm. Hurt just springs up. He's a legalist, says you've got to still tithe. But it's not Bible truth that you're worrying about. It's Offended. Get your hurts healed. God's mocked me around the world for decades. Because I would used to say, you've got 20 seconds to get your hurts healed. Guys didn't like that. They're saying, you don't know what real hurt is. You're not going to get over it in 20 seconds, and there's some hurts you're not. But I do believe that God could heal you in a split second. We don't get healed in a split second because of us, not because of God. Surely he's borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. And the long, we only carry our sorrows for as long as we want them. And I'm telling you, there's some joy in sorrow. Sounds, what are you, are you nuts? Now, some people love being the center of attraction. Look at me, woo. How are you doing today? Oh, have you got a half an hour? 
some people would say, do you want to know? You've got four hours? You've got a day or two? We can get over them like that. But to get healed, we've got to acknowledge it to God. God, that guy hurt me, that situation hurt me, that person hurt me, that, that, whatever it is, I got hurt there. And I want to say this to you guys, listen, because I don't know if I can get back to these, some of these things as I preach on now. Basically, hurt is a learned thing. I'm talking about emotional hurt now. I always use this illustration, if you've heard it, put up with it, please. But my youngest son, Jonathan, when he was just a little boy, before he was born, Jonathan came eight, eight odd years after Tyron. By then we got rid of the pram and everything that you ever needed. No more kids coming our way. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, I used to say to my wife, Anne, if you ever fall pregnant, you don't have to tell me about it. I'll understand why you left. <laughs> I used to say it jokingly to her. If she had left, I would have just about died. But, but then the teaching in those days was going around that like the people even in the womb can hear. What, so I kind of, when, when Jonathan was born and I thought, man, he's heard me joking with Anne all this stuff all the time. We, we just called him Jonathan because of what his name meant, but also I used to call him, yeah, I used to tell him regularly, Jonathan, you're a blessing from God. You're a real blessing from God for us because he really was and still is to this day. But I watched his two older brothers. You know when a little guy wants to hang out with his bigger brothers, the bigger brothers have got no time for him. He's just a pain in the neck. And so he'd walk up and grab, hello, Clint, high time. Hang on there. You know? And they started, they just, and I looked at them and I would get hurt for him. You parents, you know what I'm talking about. Some of your kids are being bullied. Now it's even cyberbullying, etc. You know what you feel. But they'd shove him, they'd push him away, they'd duck from him, hide away, from, get away out of the house before he could get near them, etc. So he didn't have to go along with them. And he just, it's just it, he just loved them. Get him. Ah, ah. And then one day, they did a little something and he got hurt. The same thing for years hadn't hurt him. And suddenly he got hurt. He learned that's supposed to hurt you. And from that day on, every time they did anything, he got hurt. He learned it and he learned it well. I want to say this to you as you sit here as leaders. I want to ask you to start, if you want to get healed, start by saying, God, Forgive me for allowing that person and what that happened or whatever, for allowing that to hurt me. Will you please forgive me? I allowed it to hurt me. And then you can say, and I'll, from my heart, I want you to help me to forgive those people. But don't walk up and say, I forgive you. If I've hurt you over this period of time, I can stand before God and say, so I would 
It would be one of the last things in my mind that I'd ever want to happen, to stand here and hurt you. But if I've hurt you, don't come afterwards and say, Dudley, I forgive you. That's basically self-righteousness. I had a lady on the hill here one day come to me at a communion service because I said, get, get these things sorted out before we take the bread and wine. And this woman walks up and she says to me, I forgive you. I looked at her, I kind of, I said, man, that is amazing. So she, <laughs> she's really feeling, now she's great. I've done this, I'm really spiritual. I said, you know, you're more amazing than Jesus. Now she's not too sure. I said, you know that Jesus can't forgive me unless I confess it. I don't even know what I've done to you, and how can I even confess it, and yet you forgive me? You're amazing. <laughs> Think about it. You don't walk up and tell people you forgave them. They come and say, hey, will you forgive me? Man, of course I will. Here's another little thing. This is slightly on a different angle. Forgiveness doesn't always mean from there on out we're going to now act like nothing ever happened. Are you with me? Paul writes and says this, Mark a divisive man, warn him once, warn him twice, and after that, have nothing more to do with him. Are you there? Now, you've got to forgive him, but that doesn't mean it, now it's what you've done, it's fine. You raped my wife, you murdered my kid, come let's be buds. Come mate, let's go. And you forgive them even if they haven't asked for forgiveness. Even if they don't acknowledge they've done it, you've got to forgive them. But that doesn't mean it doesn't matter. Are you with me? Now, if you have a problem with that, put your hand up and tell me why I'm wrong. Seriously. I want to be one of those guys that believes every word of this Bible. I don't have the right to have anything against anybody because of my own sin but I do have the right to believe the Bible and obey it. And most sins we can forgive and we can just, it never happened, but there's some that we can't. And divisiveness is one we can't. It's interesting to me that God never says you can't go and mix with a, a murderer, a rapist, a thief, a terrorist. But he does say a divisive man trying to make the point. People say to me, well, why don't you get on with that guy? What's wrong with you? You used to be buddies. And I've said, I don't want to have to answer that. My answer in my heart is, look at what he's done. Lies, division, never repented, making out like. God says, I can't mix with that kind of guy. I've got nothing against him anymore. He's got to one day just stand before God. But I just want to believe the Bible. You with me? Think about it. 
and try and find scripture to get around it. And when you find one, let me know. And then let me tell you, let me find out, let, tell me what translation you're using because I don't think it's been written yet, but nonetheless. <laughs> All right. Next one. Get your hurts healed. Next one is keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. Fix your eyes upon him. In the midst of no matter what's happening and how bad things get, keep your eyes on Jesus. It's not always easy, guys. For some people, they make out in their preaching like it's just easy. Sometimes the situation is so bad that you, you just keep looking at it, not the, the physical situation, the situation as you know it in your mind. And you, somehow you've got to ask God, help me, Father, to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus through this thing. I remember a guy once breaking away from the church and stealing almost the whole church. And whenever I look, put my eyes on that situation, I just about fell apart. But I learned to keep my eyes on him. And he brought us through. And I think you, you're nodding your head, you know what I'm talking about. You were in the church, maybe you're younger, but your parents were there and you know what happened. All right. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. The next one is, Keep the main thing the main thing. Keep the main thing the main thing. In your preaching, in your prayer life, in your faith, in your desires, you just take any part of anything in life. Keep the main thing the main thing. Now, this isn't really what I'm talking about, but I want to use this as an illustration again. I tried to say to you the other day that I've learned, especially now that I'm 76 years old and I do have some of these little problems that I've got to face it and be real with, that I know what the main thing is for me, what God has called me for. I know that first and foremost that Jesus Christ is the main. And I'll use the word thing in this context, not that he's a thing. But he is the main thing in my life, loving God, serving God, etc. And part of the biggest, major part of the call of God in the last 30 odd years or 40 years for me has been to train leaders, be with them, to help to the degree that I can. And while I love all the other activities that go with, with church life, sometimes I've got to say, I cannot get involved in some of that because this is the main thing for me, not for them, for me. And that can become selfish, and I'm not talking about being selfish, but you just knowing what you can cope with under God. And it's no use saying, well, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I want to ask you who believe that that means all things, anything, I want to ask you right now, go and walk on that ceiling. Walking on the ceiling. Do it. You can do That's one of all things. Walk on, well, you, you, well, just walk up the wall then. That's easier. It's not upside down. Do it. We can't do all things. We can do all that God has for us and called us to. 
I just look across at that bloke at the back there. He's quite one of the bigger guys. Or even you. Any, and I think, I, I can do all things. Let's arm wrestle. I want to tell you, the guy will use his finger. Oh, I'm going to win. I, I can do all things. I can beat that guy. Through Christ who strengthens me. I, I can do it. He doesn't even have to be a Christian. It's what God has called us to do. I'm being stupid, you know, but I'm, I'm trying to get the point. We get so spiritual, guys, that we kill ourselves. I'm talking about lasting, running the race, the river. These are banks in the river. Keep the main thing the main thing. Become a faith person. Become a faith person. Hebrews 11.1 1 and, and verse 6. You know, so often people quote Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the substance of, etc. But you need to go down to verse 6. I think that even explains it better. For him that comes to God must believe that he exists, he is, and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. It's not just verse 1. Become a faith person. Next one is, don't hold on to people you think you need. Don't hold on to people you think you need. Do you know how many kids are growing up in Christian homes and God's called them to go to another country to serve God and the parents are in the way? Now, I understand why. Who wants for their kids to leave and you, you don't know whether you'll ever see them again? No, you've got to, there's got to be a bad relationship for that. But to hold on to them because you think you need them or you think they need you. Quite often, Tyron says to me, you're to blame for this. You raised me in an apostolic prophetic family. <laughs> that we, we see each other basically that screen, that little. <laughs> and some of you are facing that. Don't hold on to your family. But not only that, what about the people in your church? You need them. And there's reality in that. They really help you. They're with you. They stand by you. They're faithful. They ever Don't hold on to them, even when you think you need them. Every person, hold them loosely. Let that change in your church. Well, I don't want people to leave my church because we need people. We need people financing. We need people praying for. Don't hold on to them, no matter how much you think you need them. I remember once a man, he's, he's dead now in heaven, was staying in my home once many, many years ago called Bryn Jones. I remember Bryn saying something like this to me. I'm not quoting it verbatim. But, and there were a lot of things that I, that I didn't fully agree with Bryn on. So just in case any of you, that switches you off if you know who Bryn is and you don't like him. But I remember Bryn saying that he's found over years, and he really, I mean, a lot of stuff happened around the world 
through Bryn. And I remember him saying, for every one person who leaves your church in the will of God, God will give you five more. Not for every person who leaves the church, because of you. Because in the will of God, God will give you five more. And I don't know that the figure's as accurate as, as five, but, but, but I've seen, as we've seen people just go out, God just brings people more and more and more and more back in. You hold on. That's hoarding. That's not sowing seed. You see, every person who comes into your church is in a sense also seed. The 1 Corinthians, is the 1 or 2 Corinthians 8, 9, 8 and 9, about generosity and seed. God loves us, a cheerful giver, etc. When we sow seed, man, we get a harvest. Don't hold on to people you think you need. Next one, am I on 13? I don't know, I'm trying to pick up whether I've dropped something here. What is it? 12, so I've left out something. I'll have a look in a moment, try and pick it up what it was. Build a strong team around yourself. Build a strong team around yourself. Now I want to just, while you write that down, say this, that if you can catch that truth and and. When you get married, for those of you who are not, or if you've just got small kids or newly, make, see that as a team. And build into them a strong team around you, just in your own home. And if you're not married, you'll have some friends. Build a strong team. But in the church, it's even so important for us to understand as leaders, we need a strong team. The next one, train up and release the next generation. Train up and release the next generation. It's not quite like this anymore for me, but I'm 76 years old and there's still a couple of younger guys that still like to hang out with me amazingly. I don't know why. Because I say to Anne, when we come back from our kids, we say we're visiting with my oldest boy who lives in Adelaide. I just say to him, man, we must be the most boring people to talk to, to this, this son of mine. Can you imagine sitting with him? But one of the things I always have thanked, and God's listening, I thank God I've always had heaps of young men hang around, want to be with, and I've enjoyed them. I've loved it. Now, it's not as much anymore. I don't know why, maybe the gray patches I've got in the back here and whatever else. See, even my eyebrows are starting to go gray now. Get an occasional hair growing in the ear. <laughs> All the signs of getting older. Some of you are laughing, you're thinking, I saw one of mine the other day. But man, if I live in a retirement village, if that's all, I mean, these guys are forever, well, not anymore, they've given up on me, but they're always trying to get me in because there's a whole lot of groups, cliques, the boozer group, the, the gardening group, the, all these groups, they're always trying to get 
Well, not anymore. But they, for the first year or so, they were always trying to get you into their group. And I was just trying to say to them, God, I've actually got a, my life is outside this village. This isn't my life. I'm not letting my life shrink to this little village that all I sit with is a whole bunch of old guys. Please, those of us who are older, don't be offended. Some of these guys, and then they say, let's go and kick the ball around. And I say, let's go. And then you go out there, and then you just realize, man, I'm not, the ball's there. <laughs> Next one. Little by little is a something, something that really, this, this principle, little by little, it's found in um, Exodus chapter 23, verses 28 through to 30. Exodus 23 and elsewhere. If I get back to this point, which I doubt, um, I would give you some more of the scriptures. But it's little by little. While I've always, and I hope you feel this way too, I always think big. I dream big. Even when I've pastored small, a small church, I still dream big. But one thing that has kept me sane and helped me when I've, to, to keep going is that I've seen that it's little by little God gives them the land. And so while I want more, and God normally gives me more, now I know that a lot of people who are so caught up in the faith thing, they're saying, well, it's only according to your faith, so be it unto you. Well, I want to say to you that that has not been true in my life. It's been I've got more than I've ever believed for at almost every level of my life. Better woman than I thought I would to marry. Better kids because of my own relationship with my dad than I thought I would have. Bigger churches than I ever thought I would ever lead. I've always got more. Now that blows some theology, and I'm not trying to knock that theology. I'm trying to say that while we believe for big and look for, to God, and God always surprises us, little by little is sometimes, inheritance quickly gained is quickly lost, the Bible says. And I've seen some churches just into the thousands, 10 years later, they don't exist. But I've seen other churches in the tens of thousands and 15 years later, they're still there growing. But if you, your ambition is, why aren't I growing like the guy down the road? Just thank God for the little by little. I don't know if that makes sense. I almost feel like I'm confusing you. I'm trying to find what I left out here before I turn the page. Ah, listen to what, don't listen to what other people say about you, whether it's good or bad. Put your hand up if you've not heard anything bad about yourself. Kenny. <laughs> no wonder you've only got one friend, mate. <laughs> Put your hand up if you haven't heard a hundred bad things about yourself in your lifetime. Are you serious? You haven't heard a hundred? Hmm? 
I, I was going to say something that I better not. No, I'm trying to say something. I'm trying to get a point across to you, God. Let's just say you only have 100 things you've heard about yourself that are bad. Just 100. How many of those, in all integrity, are really true? Most of them are not. Some of them are. Most aren't. Why believe it? Even if it were true, why, what, why think about that? Don't worry what people say about you. Good or bad. Now, the good also. I've had people say, man, I, seriously, I, I remember I'd gone, especially in the earlier days, I'd gone preach in some guy's church when we were trying to reach into the nations, early, early times, and I'd go there, and then people at the door would say, man, if only you were our pastor. Whew, how different things would be in this church. Well, bro, you know, if you do some praying, maybe. Um... <laughs> I want to tell you, if I did come, within six weeks, they'd be looking for some other guy. If only you were our pastor. <laughs> I, I believe we've got to love our pastor and our pastors. I really do. But they're not perfect. They know that. But if, the, if and I'm really trying to make this right, right, that, that I don't say anything that's, well, you're allowed to just hate people. We've got to love. But there are things wrong with all of us. So why live? I mean, apart from Kenny, of course, you know that. <clears throat> all right, moving on quickly. Deal with worldliness in your life. Now, I'm not talking about do you go to the movies, do you smoke cigarettes, and do you get drunk? Do you dress immorally? Not the stuff that the church talks about. I'm talking about the stuff the Bible talks about. Can I just be naughty for a moment? I don't know how we can say, well, I will not have that guy on leadership because he smokes. But we will have that guy on leadership that criticizes everybody and gossips When I first was pastoring on that, on, that, on that hill, Sunday night was an embarrassing night if I allowed it. Because after the meeting, because we're just having people coming in from everywhere, somehow or the other, and after the meeting, you drive up, and we knew that people were driving up the hill from all their church meetings and the pastors, and there'd just be this red glow outside the church. Sorry. All these guys. <laughs> were you one of the smokers in those days? Marijuana. <laughs> <clears throat> Deal with worldliness in your life, man. Gossipers. Anyway, I'm going to leave it. The next thing, if you want to keep the riverbanks flowing and reestablishing some that we've lost, I think we've lost this, this part of the bank, the power of example. We're exampling, no matter what we do, we're exampling what we claim. That's, I think, hopefully, partly why I feel relieved down through the years to just be honest. To be honest, I also suffer some of these things. 
I also think some of these wrong things. But I'm hoping that enough of my life shows that while I might, I don't do those things. I can go through some of these things, I don't do them. I hope that even when I crack jokes, and people need to know that serving Christ is fun. It's not just like grin and bear it. What's wrong with you, bro? I'm a Christian. Well, last week you were laughing with us. Why this? I got born again. Pra praise God. Oh, you, you need this joy, bro. Man, isn't it fun to be a Christian? Seriously, with the troubles, these light and momentary afflictions. Anyway, the power of example. Here's another little one. And you, I'm talking to you now, not the guys in the church that are now in the 80-year-old people. I'm talking about you. Come out of self-imposed church retirement. Some of you are going through the motions, but you've, 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 you've retired. If you know, the only retiring that should ever take place in the church is that we have retreads, the retire. It's not, well, Americans spell tire wrong, but sorry if any Americans, but it's not R-E-T-R-Y-E, it's R-E-T-Y, retire. Come out of the R-E-T-I-R-E. Some of us have just withdrawn. We just go through what we have to do, but really in our hearts we we backed off. We're retiring. And that's from the local and the translocal. In actual fact, when we get to actual retire, the real retiring, when you, you've reached that age where you, you no longer lead whatever, that's a, apart from if you've got some health issues, that's a, one of the best times to actually start going to countries and helping. Normally when you get to 60, 70, 80 years old, you can actually go, let's say, go to Botswana. You can go to Botswana and you can say, I'm here for six months. I don't need much money. I just need a few staple things. I don't want any money from you. But I'm saying, I say to myself, I don't need much money. I can take a bit of money with me that I can just buy what I need to live and do my best to help people. Just come out of self-imposed church retirement, local and translocal. Support the local church leaders even when you're a leader. And if you're preaching these, some of this stuff in your churches, you need to help your people to, to support. You heard me say yesterday when we had that little ordination with David, I asked those people, will you support these guys? We need to support. That means 
in your context here, Paul is the visionary elder. You guys, not Ronnie, you guys need to, to honestly support him. But he also needs to honestly support you. I was so blessed by my son Clint. Called me a few days before and he was telling me that things are not looking so good in the business sector, etc., etc. He says, I've got these guys that work for me. I can't just leave them in the lurch. I think, bro, you've got something. We don't just dump, we haven't got the finances we had before, but somehow together, we're in it together. Now, this one sounds a lot like something I said earlier, but I just want to add a little sentence part to it. Hold loosely what God has given you for a season. It just makes a little more clear. Don't hold on to what you, those you think you, you feel you need. God only gives us kids for a season. And I want to tell you that I believe if we can become a base church, that many, if not most of the people that come into our church life are there only for a season if we're doing our job well. Now, I'm not saying that they should all be leaving all the time to go some other church. If we're doing our job well, they will want to go out and help church plants around the world, around the city, around the country. God brings people into our lives for a season. Hold it loosely. Does that make sense to you? And let me say this to you too, guys. Even being the visionary elder is for a season. So when God begins to promote this way, but the guy starts to emerge, don't try and fight what God's trying to do. There were guys that could not see that when I was leading the team. That it was only for a season. And there are guys in all your churches that haven't caught this, help them to catch it so when your season's over, you don't lose the church. Not by threat, where you're threatening them. I, I, honestly, I feel in my heart here, standing, and, I, and I'm seeing people now. There's certain guys in this meeting now, it's, your season is nearly over. Not visionaries, at, first of all. Some other guys. Your season there is nearly over. And I feel in particular two guys in this meeting, their visionary season in that church is nearly over. You don't even say, Lord, is that me? If it's God, he'll just let you know. We don't have consternation now. But hold loosely what God has given you, even ministry, even the church. 
Kenny told me that he's loving translocal work. Anne and I are slightly different. We love it when we were moving around. I mean, we were away from home. Somebody here told me how many months of the year they were away. They were worse than me. But we were away for years, eight months of the year, away from our home. And we loved it. But we both miss just being with that church family week by week and seeing what God's doing when we were in leadership just in a local church. It's a, it's a lovely thing. But some way, I couldn't hold on to it. And I remember some of the guys just feeling like, no, what's going to happen if you're not the leader of this team? They never caught the fact it's only for a season. Prepare your people. See the world as your parish or your field of ministry. Never just see your community. The world. Lose that, and I'm telling you, you lose a lot. You don't lose everything. God's too good for that. But you lose a lot. Next one. Be present when the local church gathers. Be present when the local church gathers. I mean that by physical presence, first of all to the best of your ability. You know, we, we don't have a building anymore here. If you just excuse me, this little illustration for a moment for me. <clears throat> we don't have a building. So we're meeting in a school hall. And the school hall is just designed to be the worst possible thing for me, Dudley, not the rest of the people, me, Dudley. It's just no good for me. And so I try to hang in and try to hang in and try until I'd go home afterwards and full of aches and pains, etc. I've got scars down here and you know my liver's been taken out twice, etc. Back pain from etc. So I hung in. So eventually I had to stop going there on a Sunday. And one day I was able to talk to a couple of guys, and one day Darren just came to me and said to me, Look, we'll We'll do something about that. So listen to this. It's a school and it's in the order, it's, it's kind of a theater and it's, the chairs are like this. So you're looking down. I come in the back door. I've got a chair there with a light on and some steps that get me up to the back where the sound is so I can be present. You don't have that. Don't take a for granted when you can get be there present but secondly be present in the local church here too thinking about this thinking about that the guy's preaching his guts out the team is up there trying to get us to really focus on Christ Oh, where's my phone? Oh, 
You need to just quickly send these guys this message just in case. Hey, don't worry, guys. Sunday night after the meeting, we'll, be, we'll meet and we'll go, we'll go to the movies together. I haven't forgotten it. By the way, you're at the footy. I know you're supposed to be at church, but... Huh? Yeah, you know what the problem is? My phone locked itself and it wouldn't open. So I thought it's finished. So I thought it's, I switched it off. It must have come on. And the problem with my phone, and it's somebody's praying for me anyway, praise God. The problem with my phone is that unless I actually answer this, it just keeps going. Well, not answer it, at least open it. So just bear with me for a moment. Now, isn't that just a perfect example of what I'm trying to say? (laughs) But the the thing is that I wasn't trying to do that. It wasn't me trying to get someone. But but even that, switch your phone off. And let it buzz if you've got a sick kid that you may need to get home to. Anyway, be present. Focus on what's happening in the life of the church. Be present when the local church gathers. <clears throat> you know, you're all getting older, and that means you're all getting more mature. I'm talking about spiritually now, not, not just in age. So as you, get, you grow in, in, in the Word of God, and you grow in the life of Christ, and you grow in the move of the Spirit of God and whatever, you can get to a place where you think, like, this new guy is just coming in here now who's preaching today. Like, I love to see these younger pers- people getting a chance to preach every now and then. You can sit there and think, these guys are, this is, this is kind of like milky stuff, man. I'm used to meat. So you can just switch off. And it's those things that actually are the, some of the holes that come into the bank of the river of God. Just be present. Anyway. Become a soul winner. As God opens doors for you. Become a soul winner. That's a bank. Part of the bank that just gets lost for most pastors. Unless they really have an evangelistic thing that people get saved in the church. In the meetings. But they've lost the heart. I know that when I first came to Christ, and I used to say, Jesus Christ, I'd say, do you know him? <laughs> Man, are you also a Christian? What do you mean? Oh, I say, oh, were you swearing? Yeah. I say, hey, do me a favor. My name's Dudley Daniel. Next time you want to say that, say Dudley Daniel. I don't mind it. What do you mean? Now, I'm not saying be wise. This, I used to... No matter whatever happened, I just bow in, I go. Get saved. I remember down in Cape Town, we used to go and preach at the Musenberg station there. We used to have a loudspeaker the council allowed us to have when we plugged it into the a little kind of thing on the pole. And we'd stand there, and as these guys were coming off the train, we were just preaching the gospel and preaching just these little quick preachers. 
But somebody would stop and say something, and I'd grab him, and I'd say, you go, I put them, I'm serious, and he just hadn't been saved long. I've, I've got the guy, you're going to hell, bro. You need to get saved. Now, I mean, it was so stupid. In spite of that, occasionally one in every five million nearly got saved. That was an exaggeration, just in case you didn't get it. But what I'm trying to say is I had such a love for Christ and zeal for him that I just wanted everyone everywhere to get saved. And then you get involved with the sheep. And you just lose your heart. Maybe that's what's happened to some of us here. We're not even looking for opportunities. Every morning I wake up when, I, I pray, when I'm praying, every, to my knowledge, every morning. I ask him, Father, will, will you just, in this, even in this village, won't you let Anne and I have some opportunity? Won't you just create an opportunity for us to talk to somebody about Jesus without us just the rebuff, where there are open hearts? I don't want to pick green fruit. Just, we need to pray that. If you ever can get a little book, booklet, it's a small little one called Praying Hide, H-Y-D-E. This guy, they used to call him Camillikos because he had knees like a camel, like James, they say, one of the apostles used to have those knees. But he used to, he, he would lead, I, I don't want to exaggerate, I think he would, something like 50 or 60 people to Christ per day on the road, just streets, because he prayed every day. Now, I wish I could say that. I wish I could say I could do that a year. But ask God, don't lose your heart for souls. You with me? It's a bank that I reckon is breached. Next one, become a carer. As a leader, but when you preach into your people, people help them to understand that. Stop for a moment and ask yourself, how much do you genuinely, as the leader in a church, how much do you really honestly care about the well-being of every one of those people? Now, generally, when we start out, we do. But life, doing life, can stop us. We lose it, and there's breaches in the river, banks. And help your people to understand, man in a church, just this group here, 40, 50 people, I don't know how many we've got here. If you were sheep, just not sheep and shepherds, just sheep, only sheep, not just in the diminutive. How could I, one person, take care of all of you in a real sense of caring? Jesus says that he knows his sheep by name. I don't, some of you guys have been here three days. I don't know your names. Well, I know the reason why. One is I can't remember well, but secondly, I can't read your names from here. We've got this distance thing. But in the church, no leader can, can care for everyone the right way. He can care in his heart. When you lose that caring heart, something's gone wrong. And you're not going to run the full race, counting, where the river's flowing strong still. But help the people to understand that's all part of the life of the Spirit of God in and through the church, to care for one another. You say these are all obvious things. Are they happening in the church? What percentage of your church really honestly cares? Two days in a row now, I've, come down, I've driven in here and there's a couple of ladies and 
and a guy or two standing around as I drive in from this church, our church. And this is what I've actually said to them on two, two days in, in a row. I've said to them, as I look at you guys and I say, we have to have the best people in the world in our church here. That's what happens in my heart. I look at these guys. I'm not even their pastor. I'm one of them. Do you care? Do your people care for each other? Next one. I think I'm around about 26, 25, 20 something. Become a true worshiper. Become a true worshiper of God. Not just in the singing times. I reckon that you, some of us may get to an age one day where we're so old that we'll just worship God and say, in the morning. We haven't even got out of bed and say, we move our foot. You can't see me doing that, moving my toes and say, oh, Father, I worship you. I've still got feeling. Oh, Father, thank you. I can get out of bed. There are people all over the world can't. Be a worshiper. Oh, I worship you, Father, for the small things. Become a real worshiper. All right. Next one. Invest your finances, your time, your treasures, your trophies, and your tragedies. Invest your finances, your time, your treasures, your trophies, your tragedies to fulfill the Great Commission. Every tragedy... God can turn into something good. God just says, man, I've just lost my wife. And if you've just lost your wife, which is tragic, I don't know how, I, I, this is what I pray for, and, and Anne tells me, please stop praying it. We're getting, we're getting too old. I pray, Father, will you take Anne and I together, quietly, love her to be while we're sleeping, but I don't want to live without her. And I don't want her to have to live when I'm not around, not because of who I am, but I love to do things for Anne. I prayed that, I don't know how many decades, well, it might be more than a decade. Would you take us together? But who knows? You never know. But I know this, that people who lose loved ones can really identify. They can turn that tragedy into triumph. You understand in a different way to when you haven't gone through it. Now, I'm very careful about that because sometimes a lot of, especially women, have come up to me and said, Dudley, you're the only guy that I know in the world that can reach my husband. And I, and I, I mean, my immediate response is, you're living in cuckoo land, lady. But I say, well, why do you feel that? Well, because he, he's a drunk and you were. All the rest of these elders, they just they don't know what it... I'm saying, well, then, you know, there's a problem. Huh? Just want to get... You, I try to do it as gently. I say, well, how does Jesus help you, you, anyone? He'll never be able to help your husband. He was never an elkie. 
well, you, you can help my, you lived a loose life, immoral life. My husband does. Hey, we got a problem. What about Jesus? He, he can't help him. He never did that. So while I'm saying we can turn our tr tragedies into triumph and help, I'm not talking about being, taking it too far. Don't let people bribe you in to, well, you're the only guy. That normally means you finished and so is this whole relationship with her, whoever she wants you to have. It's not going to work. She's driving this thing, not God. Or he's driving it if it's a woman. <laughs>